Guys, after one of the craziest pay-per-views of 2021, there's only one special guest that can help us react to this historic night at Madison Square Garden. No stranger to making history herself. She's the UFC on ESPN analyst and reporter, Dana White contender series commentator, Wimp to Warrior ambassador, and probably one of the best Halloween costumes of 2021, <laughs> Laura Sanko. Welcome back to Submission Radio, live from New York. It's Laura yes. Sanko. Yes, live from New York indeed. It is very early in the morning here, but I, there's no other place I would rather be. I feel like it's been too long since I've been uh, on Submission Radio talking to you guys, so thank you for having me. Uh, the pleasure is absolutely all ours. Just quickly for a bit of framing, what is the time right now in New York City? I know I know the, the time difference is always crazy, but in New York it's even worse. Yeah, it's 2.07, but what's funny is um, we, we also have daylight savings like today at 2 o'clock, mm. so it might actually... It might actually be. I'm I'm confused. It might actually be 307, but it just turned back to 207. I think I'm. I don't know. Very late. Very late. Either way, you've been up a very long time. So the fact that you're joining us is incredibly kind of you. So thank you so much for some of your time. What is your immediate reaction though to this insane main event? I mean, we had an insane night of fights, but um. Colby Covington versus Kamara Usman, number two. I actually personally like this one even more than the first one. The first one was so close up until the very end. This one just felt like it had more drama to it, with Usman looking incredible in the first two rounds, Colby looking like he was almost out of there in the second round. And then, you know, we were talking amongst the, you know, the, the WhatsApp group saying this looks like the end for Colby. And then he manages to rally back and actually put in some really good rounds towards the end. And then the crazy moment afterwards. What is sort of your immediate reaction? And also just out of curiosity, how how did you end up scoring this one? Because it was very close. It was very close. And I agree, the drama was, you know, fantastic for this fight. I think I think those could, those two could fight 10 times. I would want to watch every single time because, you know, I was I was anxious to see how different this one be. You know, what 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 different flavor would we have here? And I was excited when I saw Colby shoot that first takedown. I was like, all right, we're finally going to get to see at least a little bit of wrestling between these two. Mm. And I mean, just as you say, the way that it played out, and then I believe it was the third round where Colby was getting some good shots in. I, you know, I would say overall, and, and it's really funny because you asked me to, to score the fight. When I'm watching the fight as a reporter and I'm thinking about storylines and sort of overarching questions, I, I'm not I'm not sitting there scoring it. So it's hard for me to go back and go round by round. But I want to say Kamaru clearly one and two and then clearly two, obviously. And I think it was the third round where I might have given I might have given that round to Colby. And then he certainly had some moments in the fourth and definitely in the fifth. So hard for me to call those last two. But um, he's definitely a guy who, man, you can't, you could hate how he presents himself, but you cannot hate how that guy fights. I mean, he is as tough as they come. And it was clear that Kamara Usman knew he had to be on his toes to the very end because it would be, you know, I think the Kamaru a few years ago would have been tempted to go for it a little bit harder and put himself a little bit more at risk just, just to get the finish, just to prove a point, you know, and finish mm -hmm. him again. But he, he maintained that composure and, in my opinion, fought like a champion does.
What did you think of uh, the end of the fight where Colby kind of uh, went out of character there for a bit? He went up to Kamaru. It was him, Dan Margulada, and uh, Kamaru Usman. And Big Dan kind of like, all right, boys, you could go kiss another time. Yeah. Like, Dan, this is the moment that love has been. You, you get out of here, Dan. What are you doing here? Get out of here. I know. What, what did you I make know. of that, though? The respect at the end and the handshake. And Colby Covington, the hands on his hips, trying to kind of kayfabe the whole thing and hide it. But obviously, Oliver got caught on camera. Yeah. It, what you said is exactly right. So what, when I went back and watched it, what was clear was that Kamaru, because Kamaru walked up, you know, kind of chest out, like, oh, we're yeah. we're still talking shit, really? Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And because that's kind of how Colby was posturing. But then he got close again where he thought the mics couldn't hear. And I, I picked, I don't know if everybody could hear, but I, I definitely could hear, you know, all love and respect or something to that effect. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I, I want to say I heard him say something about essentially like, this just this is just fighting like I'm I'm hyping the fight or whatever but but nothing but love and respect and I'll say this I've interacted with Colby Covington a number of times you're not gonna find I know people would hate to hear this but like you're not gonna find a nicer kinder easier to deal with individual than Colby Covington he's just he's a joy to deal with from this side of things on the camera um, do I love his Instagram page not really you know it's kind of cheesy and hokey and like whatever it is but he had you go back to the Colby before he became this character no one cared you know he, he kind of we did this to him right like <laughs> we forced him to, to create this character, so we got to deal with it. And the fact is that Colby Covington, the human being, is, um, from my account, a pretty great guy. Yeah, and he said he's back in the gym next week and he's only yeah. getting started. I'm just curious, before we get onto Kamaru and his legacy and stuff, what do you think is in the future for Colby Covington? <sighs> Listen, I think that there are a lot of really interesting fights for Colby Covington. I think that Colby's gonna be one of those guys who, I think Kamaru nailed it when he said, He's going to have to live in an era where he knows that there was someone better than him. But I honestly think that Colby will be, you know, you'll have 1A and Colby will be 1B for a long time. And maybe, maybe, maybe he'll drop down to 1C. Maybe, you know, maybe he'll drop a fight, but he's going to stick around in that top five for a very long time. Let's not forget, he was the first person ever to take Kamaru Usman down. I do score that as, even Kamaru. Yeah, I was going to ask you, did, did you count one or both of them? There was the one in the I first actually, round and there was one later on. I actually counted both of them. Now, yeah. I'll be honest. I'll be totally honest. If this was any other fight, I'd probably be like, oh, that's not a takedown because he didn't control. You know what I mean? Mm. So I'm sure there's a part of me that just like really wanted to see that. Oh, you know, he broke the, he, he broke the, the flawless 100% takedown defense. So I might have been a little bit generous, but I actually did in my mind think that the first one counted. And then I don't remember. It must have been the third round. Um, where he got the second and even DC and even Kamaru in my interview with him after the fights said, well, you know, he did get that takedown on me. So even Kamaru admitted that there was at least one. Yeah. From a fighter's perspective, your perspective, uh, what was, do you think the biggest change that led to Colby's success in that third round? Because the first two, like even walking out, Colby looked so nervous, uncharacteristically yeah. nervous. You could see him walking out. He was taking massive deep breaths, looking for that composure. And he almost looked like he showed Usman too much respect in those first two rounds. It's just fascinating. Yeah. Like obviously Colby, you know, with such great wrestling, we didn't see it at all in the first fight. And in this one, it looked more like he was trying to have a tactical fight on the feet. It looked like he was trying to counter Kamara Usman. And then in the third round, you know, things changed when he got a little bit more chaotic. Uh, and that was after being dropped and after rallying back. What do you think were the biggest sort of changes that he made there? Yeah, well, there's 
clearly no, I mean, there is no doubt in my mind that that guy has a fantastic mindset when he's in a fight to go from being dropped twice to come back, reset, make whatever adjustments are necessary and have the type of round he had after that speaks to the speaks to his training, it speaks to his fight IQ and it speaks to his heart most of all. But I think what I wanted to see more of him in that fight was what happened in the third was creating a little bit of that chaos. And unfortunately with chaos comes risk. And I think there's always going to be a part of Colby that did not want to end up at the end of Kamaru's highlight reel again, mm, right? Mm-hmm. And perhaps in even more devastating fashion, because the last time there were still these narratives to hang on to. No, my jaw wasn't broken. And, oh, you were faking the eye poke. And like, oh, they stopped it too fast. Like there were all these little, he's in, in, injecting these narratives where there were, I don't want even to say excuses, but injecting narratives. I don't think he wanted to have the type of highlight where there could be no narrative. And so as much as he was trying to put himself out there in those other rounds, he just couldn't get past a certain point. I think after being dropped himself, he comes out in the third and just kind of lets it loose. And that's what I wanted to see more from him. The pace that Colby Covington can put on in a fight, I honestly think he can put more of a pace than Kamara Usman can. And Kamara Usman has a phenomenal gas tank, but Colby Covington, I mean, his gas tank is unparalleled. And it was in those moments where he was making it dirty, getting in his face, making a little bit more of a phone booth where he was he was having a lot of success. But I think that he was also getting caught as well in some of those exchanges. And so, again, that just plays in your mind, like, do I do I am I going to end up on this guy's highlight reel? So there's such a fine line between being a more composed, more calculated fighter, which I do think we saw. But you can't you can't let the sw- the pendulum swing too far because what he brings to the octagon is volume and pace and chaos. And the round where he did that was his most successful round. Mm. And it's actually insane, otherworldly, how good Kamar Usman's chin is because some <laughs> yeah. of the shots from Colby were good shots and they were just bouncing off. And Usman's smiling back at him. I think the most that he looked was maybe mildly frustrated. And it's like his striking has come galaxies. He's always had the wrestling. It's, you know, near 100%. He's got the cardio as well. He's just got everything. The path to beat this guy is, uh, you know, not looking good. There's not really any chinks in the armor of Kamar Usman. Just yeah. before you go, Dennis. And I was going to say also, like the inactivity, I wonder how much that played a part for Colby because it did look like it took him a while to settle in. And Kamaru Usman, so much confidence after that Masvidal stoppage and all the activity that he had and all the confidence that he had when he was walking out to the octagon. It really looked like Colby Covington took some time to get some of that confidence as well towards the end of the fight. But Laura, let's talk about the legacy for Kamaru because people are wondering, what does he have to do to sort of be regarded as the greatest welterweight of all time? Obviously, GSP still takes that for most fans out there, or for a lot of fans out there. What do you think Kamara needs to do to sort of take that, I suppose, title away from GSP and possibly be considered the greatest of all time? I mean, he's approaching it. He has got, he's got to be approaching it. And it was funny because as I was talking to him tonight after the fights, it reminded me of an interview I had with him years ago, which was, do you remember the 30% interview? Oh yeah. Yeah. That, that was an interview I did with him and I was still new in the company and Kamaru was not a big deal yet. And he said the thing, well, that was me at 30%. And what he meant was that he was injured, so he couldn't give everything. And, but it was like a Dana hated that comment. It was a mm. whole thing. And so much time in his career was spent a shaking off that comment. And then scraping together respect 
you know, every single step of the way. And I asked him tonight, I said, you know, when you and I used to talk, every conversation would, would, would start or end with, you know, put some respect on my name. And he hasn't mm-hmm. needed to ask for that for a long time now, or at least a handful of fights now. It's gone past that. We all respect him. There's not a single fan, fighter, coach, media member, anybody that does not respect Kamara Usman. So he, in my mind, he has achieved a particular level of greatness that is very difficult to get to. But in terms of specifically eclipsing GSP, I, I don't know. I mean, is is it is it simply a number of title defenses? Is it the fashion in which he will win fights because honestly, GSP, you know, he had some amazing fights, but a lot of decisions. Yeah. And if yeah. Morrow continues to, to obviously got a decision tonight, but if he continues to knock people out more frequently, I think it'll happen faster. But he's, he's in my mind, he's very close. And sometimes that greatness only comes once they're gone, right? Like, I feel like we almost, we all knew. Who, how great Khabib was when he was here, but it's almost like he became 10% greater when he retired mm-hmm. simply for the fact that we knew we were not going to get to see more. So it might be that that we won't fully appreciate Kamaru until he steps away, which I hope is not for a very long time. Mm, yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, GSP had so many criticisms during his career. Oh, this guy's just going to wrestle and blah, blah, blah. And I think people are nostalgic. And also they remember that great moment over Michael Bisping that really sort of cemented his legacy. But yeah. I was going to say, talking about Canelo Alvarez, I don't think that's going to be the way to do it. We know Canelo, <laughs> Canelo has absolutely zero interest in these kinds of fights. He only takes fights for his legacy. And I think great rivalries and moments like tonight definitely add to Usman's legacy as it goes on. 100%. And then, uh, like you mentioned, like uh, with Usman and the way he's finishing people and like comparing to GSP's decisions, like you think back to that quote where he's like, Usman was like, I'm a problem. And I feel like in the early stages, he was kind of, he had this style where people like, oh, it's a tough style to deal with. And now it's like, he really is the Nigerian nightmare. The way he knocked out Jorge Masvidal, like he's a guy where if you, if you stand with him, if you wrestle with him, you're kind of screwed either way. Um, oh, yeah. When you... When you think about what's next for him, like you've got obviously Leon Edwards versus Jorge Masvidal. If Leon wins, he has to get that next title shot. Yet another rematch for Kamar Usman. If Jorge Masvidal wins, what do you think happens then? They're not going to do that fight again. I know Dana kind of said uh, Hamzat Shemaev is like maybe two fights away from a title shot at least. He he really poured a lot of cold water on, you know, that, hey, let's rush Shemaev straight to the next title shot. But then what do you do? Like the next guy who, you know, might be able to get it by default would be maybe Vicente Luque, who unfortunately missed weight this past weekend. And then you look at the division and it's like, you know, he's beaten Burns, uh, Stephen Thompson, Shemaev and Luque are kind of some of the only guys, you know, left over for him to beat as far as fresh contenders. Having said that, there is also Nate Diaz, who is and always has been kind of putting his hand up, who Vicente is also targeting. There's a very weird situation in the division right now. A very weird situation in the division right now. And I, I mean, I so desperately want it for Leon Edwards. Although even that, I mean, they've already fought. Mm. <laughs> Kamara has already beaten him. Now, it was a very long time ago. So I understand it's it's definitely a fresh look for both of them. They're both different fighters than they were at that point in their career. But I mean, that speaks to how much he has run through this division. I am normally not a fan of like, let's take some guy and just shove him right into a title shot so early uh, into their UFC tenure. But I think Joe Rogan said at the end of the of the broadcast tonight, if Leon Edwards does not get past Jorge, it's like, you know what? Let's just get reckless. Let's push him in there because I, 
as much as I love Vicente Luque and I think he's a phenomenal fighter, if I'm being honest, that fight does not like make me, you know, overly excited. But the fight against Shamayev does. And I think there's something to be said for striking while the iron's hot. And I think, you know, if, if Shamayev were to lose, you don't you don't lose any of the star power that you've built in him. It just sort of creates a loop where he can, you know, earn himself right back into another shot a few fights later. So the Nate Diaz fight is is interesting. It's just it's weird. It's weird, but this is what happens when you have such an incredible dominant GSP like champion. They you know you run out of options. It's I know he and Israel Adesanya are close. I don't see that fight happening, but you start to kind of look over the fence at other divisions, right? Mm. Yeah, it's like it's like man, stop being friends with Israel, stop being friends with yeah. Habib. All these yeah. fights that we would like, you know, Habib versus Usman, Israel versus Usman, and then it's like you gotta you gotta imagine like I know they're saying maybe Shamayev fights again by the end of the year, which what yeah. that w- might be UFC two sixty nine. But then you kind of think they should probably hold off with that just in case something happens at two sixty nine, and then you can go all right, whatever, maybe Masvidal won, so we can stick, you know, maybe we will stick Shamayev in there as the next title guy. And it's fascinating because you got Islam obviously trying to get his next title shot. Do you think if he becomes champion and gets a few defenses down the line, suddenly people are going to be talking Islam versus Usman as well as a great matchup too. So a lot of stuff going on, but just with that. Sorry, sorry, just just, just quickly before you go, Dennis, I also feel like with Usman, like he kind of sounds like he's, you know, expecting to retire sooner than later, maybe another few years. So it's like almost for Colby, if he sticks it out long enough, he might, maybe he can be champion if he just waits for Usman to retire. And he's got that Masvidal fight as well. Yeah, that's a huge rivalry too. But just speaking of title shots and who goes where and and what happens, Laura, I just want to quickly get to uh, Gaethje Chandler. Unbelievable fight. Um, before we get to what's, uh, who's getting the next lightweight title shot next, just want to get your thoughts on what it was like to be in the building when you saw that fight go down, especially in those first couple of rounds where it was basically as build everything that everyone expected and one yeah. of the crazy, craziest opening fights to a UFC pay-per-view that I think we've ever seen. I mean, rarely does a fight that we all sit around and hype up and use all these ridiculous superlatives to describe, rarely does it actually live up to, never, never mind exceed the expectations that we all create for it. And I feel like this fight exceeded any expectation I had for it. And I knew it was gonna be absolutely fantastic. Uh, and that is, that's a credit to both of those guys. I mean, their styles are so perfectly built for the type of fight that we saw. And I don't, I think, I, I mean, I will say this. I was, I was surprised at how much success Michael Chandler was having in round one. I knew that he would do well. I, it's not that I thought he was ever the, out of the fight, but, you know, Chandler, or excuse me, Gaethje is so good at capitalizing in that close space and he's gotten so sophisticated at fighting in that range and picking his shots even though he's in that very very tight range whereas Chandler you know has gotten caught we've seen that happen both you know here and in Bellator previously but for Michael Chandler to go out there and put it on Justin Gaethje for quite a bit of round one and then the tables to begin to turn it was it was so much fun to watch it was so much fun it was it was all over the place People in the back were literally losing their minds. I mean, <laughs> is it hard to keep composure in those situations? Because obviously you're there doing your job. And I know yeah. as media, me and Casper, when we were in the back, you have to keep your composure. You can't just go nuts. But 
I imagine well, that would have been difficult. It's frowned for upon yeah. to cheer. Very frowned upon. It's unprofessional. Yeah, well, luckily, I'm behind a curtain. And so, although I'm sure people can still hear me, but yeah, I was like, oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't, you can't help. I can't watch that fight quietly. There's no way you'd have to put a muzzle on me. That's not, that's not happening. Um, it was, it's insane, but I think I said it on the weigh-in show, the X factor when you fight Justin Gaethje is always going to be the kicks. Always, always, mm. always, always. And to me, it spells a little bit of trouble coming into this fight because of how Michael Chandler, because of his stance, the way that he digs his body into the canvas in order to generate so much power, both in terms of the way that he closes distance and just the way that he, you know, he fires his hooks at his body. Everything he throws is rooted in the canvas. But when you're rooted in the canvas, you're susceptible to the calf kicks. And Justin Gaethje is a master at calf kicks and leg kicks because not only are they fast and powerful from him and he can fire a hundred in a row, he throws them at a range that's unlike about anybody because most of the time when people are kicking, they're trying to stay on the outside and, and play, you know, an outside game or more of a point game. Justin will kick you from boxing range and very few people will do that. hundred um, percent. I love Michael Chandler. And the thing I love about him most is the way he just owns his losses. There's yeah. never any excuses. There's a fantastic video. One of my favorite videos, it's a mixed, mar uh, mixed martial warp. Mixed Molly Whoppery, uh, and it's extreme ownership, and it's about yeah, how good is it? I, I love the story about the old man at the at the start, and how Michael Chandler's just not you know people who learn to live with their limitations and just get by in life, knowing that look, there's a big flaw that I have, I'm just never going to fix it. Michael Chandler's just not that guy. I love that about him, and I feel like if it was anyone else tonight, he would have won. Like you, this was a reminder of just how durable Justin Gaethje is. You kind of think about those wars, and you think when are they going to catch up? You know, you, you've seen him get beaten and finished but tonight wasn't the night he's still got that durability having said that do you feel like Chandler's kind of in this position where he's in danger of falling to that category of like yes this guy was amazing he was fantastic he he could have and maybe he should have been the UFC champion but you know he kind of came up short in a lot of these big instances and big opportunities he had the great debut against Dan Hooker he was so close to becoming the UFC champion but yeah. he wasn't able to do it and he was so close tonight again to beating Justin Gaethje but once again he just wasn't able to get it done if you know what I mean yeah, I think I think that for him, styles are going to be really important. And you hit the nail on the head. We were seconds. I mean, you go back and you watch that fight with Oliveira. There's a case to be made that other referees would have stopped that fight, and we mm. would be talking about Michael Chandler as as the lightweight champion. That was a real possibility in that first round. Now, I'm glad that that didn't happen. But in another parallel universe, that you know that could have existed. So that that is how close he is and how small the margin of error is in these in these divisions at the top of the UFC lightweight division that is how small the margin of error is and for Michael Chandler I think no I I, I don't know that he's going to be a guy who always falls short you know in in those big moments because when you look at tonight again <laughs> so incredibly close and frankly I was I, I I went away from that fight thinking more of Michael Chandler's game than I did going into it and I think anytime that you can adva advance your stock in a loss that it's a win you know in, in obviously not on paper but it, it's a win in terms of your career and I, I genuinely was impressed by Michael Chandler because I'll be honest with you when you look back at his run in Bellator 
he he just has not fought the same level of competition that a lot of the guys in the top five, like the Dustin Poirier's of the world, have been fighting for a very long time. He's mm-hmm. fought good guys. I'm not saying he's fought you know cans or anything like that. It just isn't the same. And so for him to come in and do what he did to Dan Hooker, be this close to beating Charles Oliveira, and then this close again to beating Justin Gaethje. He's going to be up there for a very long time. I think he will have his time to be a champion. It just was, you know, it's not going to be in the next couple of fights, but I think we'll get there. Yeah, his profile is right there. Like you can't compare it to when he left Bellator because all the hardcore fans, the Bellator fans were excited. But now I feel like he's getting to that Tony Ferguson-esque area where you could put him on the card as a co-main with a bunch of guys and people would just mm-hmm. buy that fight because they know he's going to bring it. But let's just quickly talk about who, what's next uh, and who gets the next title shot. Obviously, Poirier fights Oliveira uh, next month for the yeah. title. Um, what's your thoughts on who gets the next title shot? Obviously, Gaethje wants it. Dana was kind of like, eh, yeah, he might get it. Um, yeah. do, do you think it depends on, do you think Dana's just waiting to see if it's Poirier who wins it or if it's Oliveira? Do you think if Poirier wins it, basically, uh, they might go to Islam for that title shot? Or do you think Justin should get it anyway? I do, but I mean, I, I'm with Justin, you know, I'm, I'm going to riot with him. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I, I think that I, yeah, I mean, he can't. I would love to. Plus, that was such a fantastic fight. Why would I, why would we not want to see that fight again either? Right? Like, if you want to see Colby Usman again, I certainly would not mind seeing Gaethje Poirier again. And mm. we've all seen the adjustments that Justin Gaethje has made in his game. He's he's still just as chaotic, but with a touch of calculation in there, just enough Trevor Whitman, you know, extra sprinkle in there to be even more dangerous than when he faced Dustin Poirier the first time. So I'm with I'm with Justin. Now, that's not to say Islam Makachev is not, you know, breathing down his neck. But for me, it's got to be Justin Gaethje. Yeah. And then it's like if you don't give Islam the next shot, then you wonder, well, who's he going to face next? Maybe like a Benil Dariush, although it looks like he might be the backup for that mm. fight. So yeah. that's another interesting kind of, you know, thing in that division. Um before we talk about Rose defending against Weili Zhang, just quickly, where did you guys watch UFC 268? Did you spend your hard-earned money uh, on the pay-per-view? Which, if you did, that's very admirable. But you could have been watching it for free at the pub with the boys, maybe grabbing a palmer, maybe having some pints. Uh, and you can do that perfectly with our good friends at Match Pint, uh, the perfect app. It means no more ringing around pubs to find out are you showing the fights are you not showing the fights all you got to do is jump on match pint and it'll show you where all the fights are going to be held so for example this coming week you've got max holloway taking on yayi rodriguez i can't wait for that fight where are you going to be watching it all you got to do is jump on match pint select that fight event and it'll show you by proximity by map all the nearest pubs in your area that are going to be showing that fight. You can check the prelims, the main card. You can check what kind of offers they have. You can check the pub ratings. You can check if it's uh, pet friendly, if there is commentary, anything you like. It makes your life so much easier. Match Pint, your best friend when it comes to sport. Isn't that right, Dan? That's right, man. I love how you can find out how many screens they have and stuff like that because that's always been one of the kickers when you go to a pub to watch the fights and they have like Mm. three screens and two of them are showing the footy and you want to watch the fights while they're showing a boxing event. So click on the link in the description below. Download the app today. Match Pint is your best mate for sport. But guys, 
I mean, this card that just happened to me, we're talking with Laura about so many crazy moments, so much money, so much money to be made. And that was made by everybody who was betting with my bookie using the code word submission and signing up to double their first deposit. This coming weekend, like Casper mentioned, Yair Rodriguez versus Max Holloway. Yair plus 380, Max Holloway minus 555. There is some serious money to be made this coming weekend thanks to my bookie. So if you haven't had a chance yet, Jump on right now, sign up and double your first deposit with a code word submission. But anything, anytime, anywhere with our friends at MyBookieCast. Yeah, man, if you're feeling frisky for your year for the upset, uh, he's paying pretty decently. Uh, also, we saw a lot of fantastic fight of the nights. I mean, Colby Covington versus Kamara Usman, uh, Gaethje versus Chandler, just to name a couple. Uh, quite a lot of blood as well, but you don't want that kind of blood showing on your balls when you're shaving your nuts this coming summer in Australia as we are approaching summer. Uh, and also with the holidays coming around, you know, they actually come early with our good friends at Manscaped. Don't have a fight of the night performance with your razor and your balls. Use the Manscaped Lawnmower uh, 4.0. Yes, we're up to 4.0, the pound for pound greatest uh, tool when it comes to grooming. A bit of a Kamara Usman, really, if you ask me. Uh, you got the LED light, it's waterproof. You've got multiple guards for this upgraded version. So you've got, you know, any kind of lengths and textures. Uh, you got the travel lock, and the dock is. Uh, wireless charging as well. So up to 90 minutes. Uh, I actually used it the other day. And uh, I'm like Kramer from Seinfeld. My boys are out there, Jerry. Uh, giddy up. Uh, also, the performance package 4.0 comes with the lawnmower 4.0, the ear and nose hair uh, weed whacker, the ear and nose hair trimmer, also the crop preserver and the crop reviver, the anti-chafing ball deodorant, moisturizer and toner. Comes with free underwear and the shed travel bag so you can stick it all together and, uh, you know, chuck it in your luggage and uh, shave anything, anytime, anywhere. Anyway, isn't that right, Dennis? That's right, man. Get that fight of the night bonus with your friends, with your lady friends, with all your friends. And also, it's just such a good beard groomer as well, Cass. I know a lot of people mm. just think of downstairs, but this thing is a lightsaver. You chuck it in that bag that you get for free, by the way, and it's so sturdy. You can take it everywhere with you, and it's just a lifesaver. Always charged for me. I just charge it once, and that thing lasts forever. So make sure to get that today with the code word submission, and you get that free shipping, which, you know, sometimes online shopping, you're buying something for $10, and you're paying $30 shipping on it. Not with Manscaped. Free shipping with a code word submission and 20% off. 100%. Uh, with that said, Laura, before we let you go, we obviously got to talk about Rose Nami Yunus defending against uh, Weili Zhang. In an unbelievable fight, Rose showing a lot of composure. She was hurt early in the fight. She rallied back and sort of, you know, re reconfigured everything and then was able to show a big weakness in Weili uh, off her back. Even though Weili did great in the wrestling. So that was another fascinating fight. Super, super close. I think a lot of people People had that going to Wei Li Zhang, uh, even though Rose got her hand raised. I don't think it's one where you could really argue or bicker either way, but just out of curiosity, I know you probably didn't score it round by round, yeah. but when it was being read out, who were you sort of leaning towards uh, and, and thinking who won? I was leaning toward Rose um, at, uh, when they were when they were reading up, but you're, you're right. It was very, it was incredibly close. And I think the thing that really impressed me the most for Rose was, was her own grappling. And I you know, sometimes we, we talk so much about her hands as we should because she has extraordinary power for such a small woman, but her grappling is nasty. Because when you look at the, the physicality that Zhang Weili brings on the feet, but also on the canvas, I mean, she muscles girls around in the clinch and in those grappling exchanges. And Rose just has such an unassuming frame, but the way that she's able to manipulate people with her with her her butterflies, she's so, I mean, watching her jujitsu, I feel like 
not enough people are paying attention to some of the tricky stuff that she does in her wrestling or jujitsu. It's absolutely beautiful. And for her to be able to reverse a lot of the positions um, on the ground, I think that was really the story of this fight was her ability to shut down the grappling of Zhang Wei Li when she needed to, and then initiate her own grappling and, and dominate in those top positions to really secure the last part of, of, I think, was it round five when she got the final takedown? I think it's all yeah, a, bit it was, of yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a blur right now, but mm-hmm. for her to be able to have the composure to, to know that she needed to get that and really, you know, wrap up those rounds like that. It's kudos to Rose. She's just, she continues to grow in every single way possible. But I think for Zhang Weili that that's, that's now, as you say, a bit of a chink that's been shown, right? She can, she can bully women and she can bully women in the, the clinch and those grappling exchanges. But when she gets put on her back, it's that ability to immediately spring back to your feet that is that sort of second stage of wrestling. You know, when you first learn wrestling, you're learning your basic takedowns, you're learning to dig under hooks, you know, turn corners, use your head, all these really, these basic things. But the get up ability is really, really difficult, I think, for a lot of people and takes years to to learn the tricks of just not ever allowing someone to settle you into any position. And that's clearly something she's gonna need to, uh, to work on, but, um, a fighter I'm always going to be interested to watch. Well, yeah, exactly. Like, Whaley's not out of it by any means. It was such a close fight. Like I said, a lot of people thought, you know, she might have won. So this isn't, like, completely close the chapter. Did you have I had a few, you know, it was a fight that I didn't score that great. Sometimes you just get kind of sucked into mm. it and you're like, oh yeah. shit, I haven't scored like the last two rounds. So you're like, <laughs> well, I can't really score anything else. Like it, it doesn't really matter at this point. Yeah. I mm. kind of thought I had, I, I thought Whaley had, it done enough. Like even in the fifth round, like Rose was on top, but I feel like Whaley was doing a lot off off the bottom. But it, it was one of those ones. Like I wouldn't argue anybody either way. It was so razor close. Yeah. Um. And it's just like Luke Thomas was mentioning how Rose in this funny position where she had three fights. Well, sorry, three three double fights back to back where she's fought mm. six people yeah. twice each. You know, Joanna, Joanna, uh, Jessica, Jessica, and now Whaley, Whaley. And each time the second fight was a lot longer. So we're seeing, you know, a lot from Rose and the ability to sort of make adjustments and beat people as they potentially keep getting better. I'd love to see the Carla rematch. It's kind of the the one that she needs to run back and and sort of, I don't know, complete this metamorphosis of her, you know, from from the the tough days to where she is now. And then ideally, if the MMA gods love us, maybe we'll have Wei Li and uh, Joanna too as like an undercard fight. Yes. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. yeah. And just speaking of the pay-per-view itself, Laura, so many notable mentions. Ian Gary, you have debut Chris Barnett with one of the craziest spinning wheel uh, kick knockouts and punches you've ever seen from a heavyweight Bobby Green stopping Al I mean in the first round after everything that we've seen in his career Alex Pereira making that crazy flying knee debut finishing that fight what about Shane and Billy going to war Marlon Vera with a front kick KO Frankie Edgar are you kidding me Um, what was the moment out of those notable mentions that kind of really stood out to you because it kind of feels like five events in one and yeah. it, it's like hard to look back on because it feels like that happened yesterday because we keep witnessing these crazy battles back to back. Yeah, I was actually thinking as I was getting back to the hotel and trying to pull my thoughts together, I, I was having a hard time remembering. I'm like, because I know I was like, I'm sure they're going to ask me some sort yeah. of other, other notable moment. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can't even remember or I can't even rank. There were so many. Like you say, it almost feels like there were five cards. But I guess I'd have to give it to. I'd probably have to give it to Ian Gary in terms of a moment overall. 
Um, I, I like that he was tested. You know, I think that it shows it shows a certain amount of mental fortitude, and I think it it gives us a little a little something to look forward to. Like, oh, is someone going to be able to get the better of him? But man, man, can that kid talk? I interviewed him after that fight and he's something special in every single regard he is something special but that was one of the cleanest pull off right hands i've ever i've ever seen i mean that kid's boxing is so good if you've watched him coming up in cage warriors you know he can wrestle he's got the jujitsu he is truly the complete package and he's a joy to talk to so i i'm excited for him the fact that that chris barnett can move the way he does oh and defy, defy, defy all of the science that we were taught in high school about <laughs> mass and movement and trajectory. <laughs> like the stuff he does with his body, whether he's dancing or kicking, shouldn't happen. And it's so much fun to watch him do that. But then Alex Pereira uh, coming out there and living up to expectations, right? We've had these moments, whether it's Gokan Saki or other other kick, you know, kickboxers that transition in or boxers that transition in that have been so dominant in their sport and then come to MMA and kind of go, mm-hmm. I don't I don't think we're gonna have that here. If if he can if he can be built slowly enough that his wrestling can catch up as he learns in the UFC um, because his hands, his hands are going to take him far enough. Trust me. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, well, before you go, Cass, I was going to say it's interesting because it's kind of like a lot of these guys are just uh, attractions in their own right. Like you don't even think about the title. I know with a lot of fighters coming up, you go, well, I wonder how long till he's contending and this and that. But like Ian Gary, Chris Barnett, uh, Alex Pereira, even Marlon Vera now. Um, these yeah. are guys, Bobby Green. These are just guys that you would just kind of tune in even if they're not involved in any kind of like main event or title picture. And I kind of think this is exactly like the UFC really booked this card in such a smart way because we got a chance to see all the young people coming up. So I really sort of tip my hat to the UFC because this has got to be, I reckon, the best event of 2021 and one of the most historic nights that they've had in quite some time. Yeah. And just quickly, because I know we're going to let you go in a second, Laura, just Alex Pereira fascinates me because um, I know that he got held against the cage quite a bit. Like you, you remember Israel Adesanya's UFC debut wasn't flawless. He got a great finish, but it wasn't flawless. So you can make the the comparisons. Like if people are saying, oh, you know, by the time, like this guy could get out wrestling and stuff. It's like, yeah, Israel grew before our very eyes in the UFC. And the other thing worth mentioning is that Alex Pereira was what, four and oh, no, it's four, sorry, four and one going to the UFC. Israel Adesanya was what, 11 and oh. So it was literally three times the experience uh, when he, you know, took the long, long route into the UFC. So very curious what happens with, uh, with Alex as he progresses. Yeah, agree. I can't. I can't wait to see what he brings into the octagon. And I, it's 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 both fortunate and unfortunate that he has two wins over Adesanya and 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 including a knockout because it's literally going to be the question that he is asked <laughs> every single fight. But as it should be, right? It's it's intriguing that our champion has not lost at 185, and here comes this guy who's beat him not once but twice. That to me is even more impressive. Uh, so yes, yeah, it's a fun storyline that I'm sure we will just beat to death <laughs> as he comes, as he climbs his way up. And I like it because Eugene Behrman 
from City Kickboxing, the head coach, is kind of like embracing it. He's not kind of pushing it away. He was speaking to us and he's like, you know, we'll see what happens there. But yeah, that could be something cool that Israel really enjoys. I don't. I think Israel would really enjoy if, if he's able to build, build himself up a chance to beat him on a huge stage in the UFC because he loves challenges and sort of making history as well. But speaking of history, I mean, it was made tonight in Madison Square Garden. And there was only one person that could react to it with us, and that is Laura Sanko. Guys, make sure to follow her at Laura's underscore Sanko on Twitter and Instagram. She's always doing amazing things, and we appreciate your time. Thank you guys. What is it, like Friday over there by this point? How many hours have we taken up? I don't know how this daylight savings <laughs> works. We're back, it's back to the future over there. Whatever it is, we appreciate you, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon.